Hello, and welcome to We Talk, a podcast that explores the role of Waldorf education in helping children, parents, and families thrive in an ever changing world. We Talk is brought to you by Shining Mountain Waldorf School, and this is your host, Nita June Devonzo. Hello and welcome, wonderful We Talk listeners. It has been a moment since our last interview was published, and I'm wishing you all a fantastic almost March time. Today on our show, I bring Elena Shvakazi. Elena graduated from Shining Mountain Waldorf High School and is today a documentary associate producer with production experience in both fashion and television. Her documentary production experience spans domestic and international shoots in multiple international locations, including Chad, Brazil, China, Japan, the UK, Spain, and many other places. She shares with us today about her work in these different places in the world and in the different fast-paced environments of both fashion and television. She most recently completed a wonderful new Netflix show directed by Emmy Award winner Rudy Valdez and produced by Ron Howard called We Are the Brooklyn Saints. She speaks about that and also about how her Waldorf education inspired her and continues to shape who and how she is today in this wonderful world. Wishing you all the best and I hope you enjoy. Welcome, Elena. Thank you so much for being with me today on this episode of We Talk. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. And listeners and now viewers, this is our first shared filmed We Talk that we are doing today, too. So exciting new endeavors ahead. And I'm so excited to have Elena Shibakazi here with me. Um, Elena, remind me and remind all our listeners what years um, you were at Shining Mountain. So I started at Shining Mountain all the way at the beginning um, in kindergarten. And honestly, I cannot tell you what year that was, <laughs> but I graduated in 2010. Um, there was 
Yeah, there was only one year where I wasn't at Channing Mountain, um, and that was for a brief foray on the East Coast for my freshman year of high school. Oh, cool. What high school did you um, partake in during that time? I went to Green Meadow Waldorf School. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Sticking in the Waldorf world there. Definitely Waldorf yeah. all the way through. <laughs> so, Elena, can you share with us just a bit about your first initial steps away from Shining Mountain, um, not at Green Meadow, but after high school um, and your time at Bard College? Sure. Yeah. Um, so after I graduated from Shining Mountain, I actually ended up taking a gap year. Um, kind of the process was my parents were like, okay, if you want to go take a gap year, you have to apply, <laughs> get into college, and then and then you can go and explore the world. <laughs> so I did that. Um, I got accepted to Bard College on the East Coast and um, ended up taking my gap year uh, and spent the year traveling. Um, I started out in Berlin, Germany, where um, my mother is from, and I spent a lot of time there. I spent the majority of my summers growing up there, so I felt like it was really important for me to connect with the culture there. And then um, after that, I went to Australia. I was in Australia for a little bit, um, and then I ended up backpacking around Southeast Asia, um, which was an incredible experience. Uh, I worked... um, uh, teaching English and um, worked for a couple of NGOs as well. Um, I did um, my most, my most kind of like, uh, I guess, how do I say this? It's like the thing that really like touched my soul in that year was that um, I spent about six months of that year working at an NGO uh, for um, mothers who had HIV and their children. Um, and so we spent a lot of time just like working with the mamas and, and basically providing their children with, um, with just cultural context, English education. Um, yeah. Wow. What an incredible gap year. Sounds it like- was amazing. I love, I felt, I feel so lucky to have had the opportunity to do that. Um, and it kind of spun my, uh, my passions in a different way than I never thought would, would happen. Interesting. I know it's so neat to look back on our lives now and be like, oh, had I not done that, then that wouldn't have led to that. Right. Yeah. Um, which kind of brings me to my next question. Um, while at Bard, you, um, and correct me if I'm wrong here, you majored in film, right? Or focused on film, depending on how Bard puts it. Yeah. Um, I actually ended up getting a degree in um, developmental economics, which was where my passion started in Cambodia at the NGO. Um and I, I really wanted to take a deep dive into um, wealth inequality um, and economic systems. Um, but my main passion really was always photography and film. And um, my father, before he ended up in Waldorf education, he was a filmmaker and um, always had you know film cameras lying around. So I tinkered with them as, ch- as a child. Um, and when I went to college, I was like, dad, I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna study film. <laughs> and he was like, Absolutely not. <laughs> and, I, and not in like a, you can't do that. I'm like your dad way. It was like, we just couldn't really afford to have the additional of the film program, which was more in material costs and all these different things. So I kind of made a deal. I was like, listen, I have this passion for developmental economics, developmental societies, cultures in development. And um, I'd love to learn about that. But I also really want to be able to look at developmental economics through the lens as a documentarian, as a filmmaker. Um, and I want to learn about that as much as I possibly can. So I will have a focus in documentary film. I'll learn about cameras. I'll learn about, um, you know, telling stories in a documentary format uh, with my economics degree. 
awesome. That sounds phenomenal. <laughs> wow. And so with this gap year, so when you entered um, your time at Bard, did you feel like you were more ready? Was that transition hard to come back after the gap year? And just in general, I mean, that freshman year can be tough. You know, it's a new system. It's a new culture. How was that for you? That's a really great question. Um, I think that that is something that, you know, a lot of people don't really think about when they take a gap year. A lot of, I, when I originally went into my gap year, I was like, oh, this is going to be something that makes me like more interesting of a human. And I can go into my studies at college with like a more diverse understanding of the world. And I can apply that to my studies. Um, But instead I kind of felt when I arrived at college alienated, I think alienated by my, my broader understanding of the world in a way. And I think definitely that had to do with, with me. Um, but I think part of it was also that, um, I was so enthusiastic about being out in the world that kind of coming back in and having to sit and study and learn from that perspective was difficult for me. Um, and I wasn't like, I was never really like the best student. I was always kind of somebody who really, really wanted all of the hands-on that Waldorf education gave me. That was like where I thrived. So getting into college and also throwing myself into an economics course, which is also something that didn't align with my skills. Um, Coming out of high school, I was really bad at math. I like science was like, I couldn't even do it. (laughs) I don't even know how I got through math in in high school Um, and kind of got thrown into this place where I had to really focus on learning this new language that um, takes a lot of focus and a lot of concentration. Um, But you know, what's really cool about that is that I initially thought like, oh my gosh, I just, I'm not smart at that. Um, but that's not, that's not, that never say that to yourself. Like you're not, not smart at that. You just have to learn it in the way that you need to learn it and you're going to get good at it. And if it's associated with something you love, then it will work for you. (laughs) And it did. So I think that was the hard thing coming from my gap year, really thinking that like I could forever learn about the world by being in it. Yeah, I know, which, which, um, I don't know, we'll see how it goes in the future. And with more, I think more and more people are wanting that experiential learning and schools are implementing it more, you know, with more field work or just like studying abroad or courses that are fully taught abroad. Um, but I just want to emphasize and echo and support you in what you're saying. Yeah, don't ever say that you're bad at something because I totally, if, yeah, if you're passionate about it, you can totally do it. It's all about that interest. Yeah. Oh yeah. You just have to push yourself and like recalibrate how you think about it and always say like, Hey, this is, I'm not bad at this. I just have to learn how to do it. <laughs> it's hard at the moment. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Congratulations, sweetie, on forging through with that. I know that um, I had a couple econ majors as my best friends in college, and I just remember looking at even like their textbooks and everything. And I was always good at math, and I was like, "Oh gosh, whew. I was like, I'm sticking with my theater degree over here." Oh, hey, oh that's fun. I always wanted. I was like, theater, yes, give me theater, give me film. I want all those things. <laughs> I know, still live in that world. So you've touched on this a little bit. I mean, just your travels all around in that gap year. And I'm sure you've adventured and traveled even more at this point in your life. Um, If you can think of like, I don't know, one or two um, highlights of your times abroad, you know, and your your travel experiences, um, what might some of those be, whether it's, you know, culturally or work-wise or just any other stories that might come to your mind? 
Yeah, I, I love this question. There's so many places and just just even just hearing the question makes me think about all of these amazing places in the world. Um, but I think that the foremost story it took place in Cambodia. Um, when I was working at the NGO, um, I spent a lot of time working with the children um, and had to get up like at four o'clock in the morning and be driven on a moto out to this like very 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 rural uh grouping of houses where the where the hospitals were for for the mamas and um every single morning it was it was like one of those things where you just you get on the bike and you can see this like beautiful road and just like these gorgeous massive fields of lily pads and the sun rising and it was just so so beautiful and on one of these mornings I was feeling kind of sick and I was like no it's okay like I'll just push through it I'll be fine um we get to the NGO and um it's kind of between lessons and I sit down on this bench in the middle of the courtyard and I was just like oh my God, I had this terrible stomach pain. It turns out later I had like a really, really bad like <laughs> stomach disease. <laughs> but, but anyway, I'm like sitting there and I'm like, oh, like I just, I can't, I can't alert anybody to the fact that I'm feeling bad. Like I really just have to push through this. Like there are people around me who are suffering so much more than I am right now. And like, I'm fine. Like I really, I'm really okay. <laughs> and without even saying anything, um, the doctor came over to me and he was like, you know, what's going on? He didn't speak English. So this was all in Khmer. And I, I had like, I mean, I could, I would not say that I even have a small understanding of Khmer. Like <laughs> I could like kind of get by, but, um, I, I understood his intention. Um, and he, he like rallied everybody else. <laughs> he was like, she's not feeling well. Like we have to do something about it. Like, let's find somebody who can speak in English to her. And at a certain point I look up and there's like a group of like 12 people around me, including the mamas, including the children. And they're all like so concerned about me. <laughs> and I'm like, whoa, no, 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 no. Like, this is not, please just like <laughs> stop. <laughs> and, and amazingly, one of the ladies, she takes this jar of like tiger balm, like a version of tiger balm. And she, she lifts up my shirt and she starts taking the tiger balm and, and massaging it onto my stomach in this like really interesting pattern. And after she does this, like all of my internal organs, like all of the pressure that I was feeling just like completely went away. And I remember looking up at them and being like, Oh, <laughs> this is here. I am, you know, I am supporting this community in whatever way that like Western society has taught me that I'm supposed to support suffering communities, whatever, whatever that means. Right. And they're supporting me in like the most traditional form of care, which is like love and like ancient medicines and, and just this amazing cultural understanding of the way that bodies react in, in the environment that it is in. Um, and that was kind of one of the most eye-opening experiences I've ever had. Uh, I think that changed my entire relationship to understanding the world. It was, um, I think before it was like, let's just see everything. And then all of a sudden it was like, let's learn about tradition and culture. Let's learn about where people and their ancestors come from and how that affects their current environment. And then what has happened to 
create that current environment. And most of the time it's modern society saying this is the way it's supposed to be. Um, but that's another whole conversation. But <laughs> um, yeah, that was an amazing experience. Wow, Elena, that sounds like magical. Yeah. It was like out of a book. And I think I did a really bad job telling it just then, but <laughs> I did a great job. No, I was I was riveted. Um yeah, I'm just struck too by that last uh, piece that you noted at the end of right, you know, coming in with that Western mentality of like, you're there to provide these tools and really, you know, and I'm sure you weren't coming in in an egotistical fashion being like, I've got everything figured out. Let me tell you in any way, shape or form. But to just then, like, it sounds like you had this realization of, or maybe not realization, but you like r- reminder Um and what I'm struck by, by, the, by in your story is just that reminder, like we all are always learning and have things to offer each other, no matter where we are, how much money we have, how old we are, you know, what's going on. There's always something there's all, it can always be a uh, like reciprocal giving. Yeah. There. Mm, that's so cool, sweetie. Wow. Um, so let's fast forward a little bit to now. Um and I'm glad that you're done with your stomach bug, <laughs> whatever it was, and bringing us into the current day here of your work in film and fashion and television production. Um, I'd love to just hear, yeah, some about all these different worlds that you live in and what some of the challenges and the highlights of each area might be. Sure. Um, so I currently work um, as a documentary associate producer. Um, I uh, spend a lot of my time prior to being an associate producer. I've kind of worked my way up through the film chain, which starts as this wild role as a production assistant. And when you go into this role, you're like, I'm an. I like went to you know I went to college. I studied film. I like know all these things and then you know you get people coffee and you drive trucks around and you learn how to park cars in New York City and (laughs) you learn how to uh you know all the stress that everybody around you is feeling and how to like calm everybody down and put a lens on a camera and just like all of these things that are like super vital to like the fast-paced environment that I work in um and my first role uh, as a production assistant came on a show that I, that I worked on, um, for Netflix called Rotten, which is, um, a show about, uh, corrupted food systems. And it looks at different food products, um, and basically goes through the economic background of it. And then, and then has an amazing cultural lens through which, um, this product kind of comes into the world and how it affects the world. Um, and (laughs) I got on this job, um, because the producer needed a production assistant and I happened to be in her vicinity and she was like, great, get a van. We're driving to Washington DC and we're going to do all these interviews. (laughs) And I was like, great. (laughs) And it was like the most amazing moment for me because I am so like, people probably remember me as being like super loud (laughs) and super enthusiastic. And like, I have so much energy and like sitting in front of a desk is like not my thing. So when this role came into my lap, I was like, awesome. Like I get to get paid to like be out in the the field and run around and like learn things from people and (laughs) coffee. You need coffee. Great. So, so that was like my first love of the film industry, um, was really just like the enthusiasm being out in the world with people who are really smart and who are spending their time, you know, telling a story that they're really passionate about. 
Um, so kind of slowly as I've, I've, I've worked my way up, um, I started, uh, production coordinating, which is basically just like running all the logistics of a show. It's about like dealing with gear and making sure everyone's schedules are on track and, um, you know, dealing with, uh, customs around, um, you know, gear getting in and out of country and, uh, people getting it out of countries. Um, and so I worked on this show, uh, called Connected also on Netflix that, um, uh, is hosted by lots of Monsieur. He's an incredible researcher. Um, he does radio labs. Uh, it's a podcast and they get into in these super in-depth stories on almost everything, which is really cool. Um, and, and he's lots of Monsieur is amazing because he is very unique. Uh, he's a very unique individual in that the way that he connects to every single person in the world is just based out of enthusiasm for learning about like the motivations of that person or the history of that person or why they understand the world a certain way or why they're associated with a topic that he's researching. And so he has this like very childlike innocence in the way that he approaches people, um, which was, was another step for me, I think, in like really learning how to see the world differently um, and like see people differently. Um, and in my own kind of steps towards being a documentarian. Um, so that was an amazing challenge. We were in and out of uh, uh, Africa. We were in Chad. Um, we were in the Amazon, uh, in the Netherlands. We were all over the world. Um, so it was kind of getting, it was my role was not on the story side of it. I didn't deal with any of the research or the interview subjects or any of those topics. My role was basically like, all right, we have a flight at four o'clock in the morning and we have this much gear and we need like to make sure that it's all legal going in and out of these countries and we got to track it right. And it's five o'clock in the morning now. And we got, <laughs> it's like this like crazy. So uncool. <laughs> Mostly just me, like almost about to panic about something uh, or somebody calling me at a ridiculous time in the morning and me just being like, oh, um which I love I love it I'm obsessed with it um so so that that was kind of my like push into learning about how to approach story um and learning about how to approach um really and I, I think and this kind of goes back to my time um in Cambodia too of seeing people for what they want to say about themselves, what they what they wish to express to the world, um, and then those kind of unsaid things that that you know hold them to you know something else, something else that is is of interest. There are these little details that we get to that we get the time and we get paid to sit down and want to find, um, and so that's been amazing. So now I'm um, working towards. Um, a huge show. It's a research show, um, on Abraham Lincoln, um, for the history channel. And most of my work now is, um, it's a lot of research. It's a lot of kind of finding interview subjects that we want to, um, bring onto the show and have something interesting to talk about. So I am basically writing a thesis on Lincoln right now. <laughs> um, and then I get to go out and I get to go and interview and, and, and really just pull information, um, from these incredible scholars on Lincoln. So that's oh, so cool. It really sounds like you found what you're meant to be doing in your, in your life. Yeah. It's amazing. I never thought it was going to happen. I went through so many different levels of like 
who am I? What do I do? Like, where, where do I fit in? I, I think that something that was very difficult for me was fitting in always um, and fitting in, in um, like my understanding of the world. And I don't know how to explain it. I think that, I think that part of it is that as a Waldorf student, something that is so important in the way that we learn is having this broad understanding of the world around us. Um, you know, learning about the world through stories, learning about history through stories. We, we get to create a relationship with these subjects, you know, like, um, what is it? Um, fourth grade history. Uh, it's, is it the Greeks? Fifth grade history. Okay. The Greeks, right. You like you, by the end of it, you're like, I know that person. Like I have a relationship with that person. And because you have a relationship with that person, you like, remember the dates and you remember these important facts. Whereas I think a lot of other education systems are like, here's a bunch of facts about this person that like maybe makes them interesting. And then you have to kind of like figure out how to relate to them or not. And if you relate to them, you'll remember. And if you don't, you won't. Um, so, so yeah, it's, um, I think that, that part of, um, leaving Waldorf education was very tough because I feel like I was in such a protected environment where who I was as a human being was so valued. Um, and you know, the things that I was good at or the things that, you know, about my personality that were of, you know, of interest or something that was like unique were always nurtured. And then when I left that environment, I was like, whoa, nobody cares. <laughs> like really nobody cares. Everyone's kind of on this like rat race path of, you know, I have to keep doing what I'm doing. I have to keep doing what I'm doing. And in that way, you kind of don't see other people around you. Um, and you don't have the time to observe because you're trying to make a mark and you're trying to, to, to be a value somehow. Um, and so I think that was difficult. And, um, over the years I've kind of learned that what makes the world interesting is not others valuing me, but it's that what Waldorf education gave me was that I understand myself. I value myself and now I can go into the world and I can, um, because I have that, I can see that in others. Um, so that's been a really interesting. And I, you know what, at the pandemic year did that for me. <laughs> I like realized that like this year I was like, oh wow. We're having <laughs> blessings. Well, I don't know, silver linings to the pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. Of personal insight. Yeah. Self-discovery, more reflection time. Uh-huh. Yeah. 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 Thank you, Elena. Those are wonderful, wonderful insights just about yeah, what you've taken from your Waldorf education and yeah, coming out of that, that the Waldorf um I don't want to call it a bubble or a cocoon because I feel like in some ways that looks like negative, you know, uh, about it, but it's a held space and it's um, a really special space and a wonderful community. But I totally had that, that, that similar feeling too, like stepping out in the world and being like, wait a second, like no one, what, but I, people know me, like, you know. <laughs> like just understand me like everyone else did <laughs> at least yeah but nobody nobody does not nobody but it just takes a longer time out in the world yeah yeah um so I'd love to hear thank you so much for talking about just how you feel like your 
Waldorf education has impacted and influenced you and inspired you to do what, what you're doing right now. Um, I'd love to hear a little bit about one of your most recent projects that you um, completed. Um, it was a production called We Are the Brooklyn Saints and documentary again that was produced by Ron Howard. And it's now, is it now available on Netflix or will it soon be? It is. It's available on Netflix. Yeah. Hey, and can you share just some about that experience and the project itself as well? Yeah, um, that is a project, I think the project that's closest to my soul. Um, I was really lucky to be recommended for the position um, with uh, Imagine Documentaries and Disarming Films. And um, I really had no idea what I was getting into. Um, Rudy Valdez, the director, um, had... Uh, had just won an, an Emmy. Um, and I didn't know that I, part of what I do for myself is that I, when I go into jobs, I don't research all the press or the media behind people. I, I really don't want it to reflect on the way that I interact with people. Um, so I kind of just went in blind and, um, I also didn't really know what the subject matter was. I just, you know, I was really interested in um, the way that Imagine produced documentaries. They're an incredible company and they always go into a story in the most truthful um, lens, I think. Um, and so that was, was really exciting. Um, and then, you know, as it developed, it was really just like, we started with like the most simple concept. Um, the show is about a, uh, a youth football team in um, East New York. Um, and what's really interesting about this topic is that uh, East New York is an incredibly devastated neighborhood of, of New York. Um, it is incredibly an incredibly poor community, um, and it um, it is one of the foremost uh, neighborhoods in New York City where um, school funding was completely cut. Um, and so, Rudy, our director, kind of went into this neighborhood one day and was like wait a minute, <laughs> we have to tell this story. Um, and he kind of came across this, um, this youth football team that was all run by uh, coaches who were volunteering. They were saying, listen, we want to create an environment where our kids aren't on the street and where we can provide, you know, an after-school activity where they're taken care of. Um, you know, most of their parents work. Uh, what happens to them when they're not uh, in any kind of school format. Well, they got on the streets um, and, you know, their communities are disadvantaged because of that. Um, and so it's amazing. These incredible coaches and this incredible community provide this youth, uh, this youth football team um, coaching, mentoring. And uh, we had this amazing opportunity to, to be flies on the wall. Um, it was a, a very it's unique in that a lot of documentaries these days are not, um, you know, there's a storyline that goes into it before you even get there. You're like, we're going to paint this picture this way. And then you go and you bring a camera and you interview the right people and you get your talking points and you make a film. Um, for this, it was, we don't know what the story is. Um, we don't know who these characters are. Let's learn about these characters. Let's learn about their community. Let's not look at this through the lens of, um, you know, racial inequality. Let's look at it through the lens of who are these people and how do we tell the story? Um, so that was, uh, I mean, I, I still <laughs> I really like, I'd moved to New York and had really understood New York through 
you know, the way that movies and media portrays it in this beautiful light of like, you get to go to New York city and like the shows and the fashion. And I was, and I was in fashion too. So like my whole perception of New York city was like New York fashion week and like all of these super high end things. And then I went and walked into East New York and I was like, what? Like I, I've never ever experienced anything like this. I can read about it in an economics course. I can understand the numbers behind racial inequality. I can understand the, the numbers behind, behind injustice. But what they don't teach you is that every single person who is associated with that cluster of numbers, that piece of data on a piece of paper is amazing. And they have like these amazing stories and they have these amazing lives and nobody really cares to hear them because we want to paint it in a, in a, in a, a light that we put on it. Um, so that was really unique about this documentary. We didn't have a story. We just said, let's learn about these people. Um, and if you get a chance, watch it. Um, it's not only an amazing story, <laughs> but um, it's also an incredible feat of um, filmmaking. Everything was, um, it's called verite style documentary filmmaking. So everything was shot on like, um, you know, handheld cameras and we like ran around and we followed these little kids around and we, <laughs> and we like, you know, got into ca people's cars and um, uh, yeah, it's, it's like not set up at all. And at the end, when we were going through the edit, we were like, wait, we, we, we like lost a beat there. Like we got to like fill out this other thing that like somebody mentioned once in some sentence somewhere. <laughs> and then we're like, wait a minute, we got to, let's call, let's call Gawala and say, uh, hey, can you like expand on this thing that you talked about? Or like, what does this mean? Um, so yeah, it was, it's really unique, uh, incredible piece of filmmaking. I can't say that I had any part in the creative of that either. That was all coordinating, um, which was a nightmare because <laughs> coordinating a film that is not, coordinatable or planned <laughs> yes but <laughs> but um I'm I feel very lucky to have been a part of it wow wow I'm really eager to um watch it absolutely that is so so fantastic what an incredible experience um so my last question for you here today Lana is right your next project is this Abraham Lincoln piece but in terms of like if you could Let's just step into a world where your imagination and everything, all your dreams and hopes will become true. What is that future? I mean, are you directing? Are you a creative producer? Are you producing? Are you, yeah, what is what does it look like? What kinds of stories are you finding and shaping and creating? Yeah, um, I, that's a great question. Um, I really am looking towards working on documentary films that are, as a producer, um, that are associated with um, climate change. Um, I really wanna look into, uh, I'd like to do a lot of ocean documentaries. Um, I, I'm a diver, I started diving and I just like, I was like, oh wait, I can dive and bring a camera down there and do oh things. My gosh. <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm really excited about the opportunity of working um, with uh, the National Geographic and BBC. Um, and um, don't tell that I'm like interviewing with BBC right now and National Geographic. So that'll happen. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I just I want to continue just creating, um, being a part of the creative process of, of telling stories of, of, you know, cultural importance, economic importance, and then also, um, you know, having a focus on climate change and, um, and nature documentaries. 
That sounds phenomenal. You will get there. I know you will. Yeah. Yeah. You have the brightness and the enthusiasm and just the energy. And it just feels like that's what you're meant to be doing. So I have no, no doubt, my dear, whether it happens this year and next year or beyond. Yeah. It's going to happen for you. Elena, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. So fun. It's such a, just this, this insight into, um, yeah, the beauty and the depths and the challenges, I'm sure, too, of your world and the busyness of it. But um, yeah, so phenomenal to catch up. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to We Talk, brought to you by Shining Mountain Waldorf School and hosted by Nita June Navanzo. We Talk is made possible because of listeners like you who invest in the production of the show. Share your appreciation for what you've heard today. Help us explore the value of Waldorf education and preparing our children for the future by going to patreon.com forward slash we talk podcast. If you'd like to be interviewed, have a suggestion for an episode ahead, or simply wish to share feedback, please email us at wetalk at smwaldorf.org.